You are listening to Normalized Crime, an in-depth look at gang life and all the effects that come along with it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Normalized Crime. I'm Eric. What's going on? Berto here. And Berto, we're back after a little bit of a break. What do you got yeah. for us today? Yeah, it was a little bit of a break. Um, but um, over this time, I've just been, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, how, really how hard life is, bro. And, um, <laughs> you know, not so much getting you know, getting into, getting into a rhythm. Right. But then the monotony of life of doing the same things over and over again. And so I started thinking about, you know, how hard it is when guys get out of prison, just to, to acclimate to that, you know, and to, to adjust and to get into a rhythm with a job and finding work. And I think, man, the, the most important thing when you get out, obviously is like, missteps, right? Like you want to, you want to avoid missteps or unnecessary steps. You know, like I remember when I used to, when I used to train to play basketball, right? I was never really great, but I used to, you know, like play on an organized team. And like my coach used to always tell me, don't, don't, um, you take a lot of wasted steps. He used to tell me that like you, you, you take a lot of wasted steps, just go from point A to point B, you know, straight lines. Mm-hmm. And, um, I say that man, because when I got out, you know, well, first of all, let me say this. I think we went over a little bit how disadvantaged felons are in general, right? I mean, the, you know, obviously the narrative is that there's a lot of second chances for people out there and and getting out is a second chance in general, but I'm talking about second chances to make it as successful as if you never went to prison, because it's one thing to say, yeah, we'll give you a second chance at life, but it's another thing to handicap you when they give you a second chance. And so I think that's what happens a lot is guys get handicapped with that felony. There's so many jobs that you're excluded from right out the gate, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and even if, even if they say they hire felons nine times out of 10, they're they're probably not going to hire a felon. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of jobs that are like that. Oh, we're felon friendly, but what it comes down to is there's a couple fields, man, where felons can excel, right? I mean, in a, in a faster period of time, and this is a dual road, right? So what I mean by that is I talked to a close friend of mine who got out of prison, you know, I'll use his example first. When he got out of prison, you know, he, uh, he just put his head down and just worked as hard as he possibly could. You know, he got into a job, stayed there for nine years, became a supervisor. They paid for him to go to school. So he had, you know, supervisor, um, you know, education. And so he just went that route. Now that I commend him for, because that's hard to do, man. You know what I'm saying? To get out in your first job, you stay with him nine years. And then, you know, I don't know if he had the foresight to see that they were going to pay for a school and all that, but, but um, let's just say he didn't. I mean, that takes discipline and not a lot of people can do that, including maybe myself, man. Like that's, that's a hard thing to do. I think you got to, for, for me, you know, I wanted to find my niche, like what I was, what would fit me, what would make me money. And you know what I'm saying? What I felt like I could do. And mm-hmm. so I think one of the biggest options right now that a lot of guys are going towards is the CDL and, you know, it's, it's felon friendly, you know, um, and you know, it, it does a lot of things for you. You know, if you're, if you're working for a company and you, you don't really have nowhere to go, um, and you go over the road, it doesn't really bother you because you don't really have nowhere to go. You know what I mean? You're sleeping in a truck and you're saving all your money basically. And you're getting paid pretty decently, you know, depending on what company you work for. Now, obviously there's a two edged sword there, meaning that, you know, when you get your CDL, everybody's like, get your CDL and, and you get, you get hired onto a company. Well, the, the thing is, is when you get your CDL, you got no experience. So yeah, you got your CDL, but there's not a lot of companies that just hire guys with no experience. You know, you got to be able to be put on there. You got to be insurable. And so um, the problem there is you don't get a lot of, you know, good opportunities in the beginning. You know, nine times out of 10, you're going to go into a company where you do over the road and you're getting paid shit money, you know, uh, you know, maybe 41, 42 cents a mile, which in trucker lingo is is decent, but it's not, it's not, it's not a lot. You know what I mean? And, and um, sure, they add up. It's bottom of the barrel for a trucking. Right. To be right. But that's how they, right. Yeah. Right. And that's how they do you though, you know, because you don't have many options, you know, I'm gonna give you an example. Like with me, when I first got my CDL and so that, you know, circling back to my first point about 
um, taking missteps, this is where I took my first misstep. It's because, you know, I was, I was under the impression that driving a truck was going to give me a lot of money in a short period of time. And maybe it would have, um, and I'll get into that in a second, but you know, so, so this was a misstep for me because it didn't really fit me. And, you know, but going back, yeah, this is the, this is the kind of, this is the kind of offer they give you out the gate. You know, when you first get your CDO, man, you're going to get a bottom of barrel offer. So me, my first job offer, it was funny. It wasn't even, a, um, so I didn't even get offered to drive a truck and I had a class A CDL unrestricted license. So unrestricted, I mean, I could drive stick shift, I could drive manual and I could drive, you know, basically anything that was on the road, I could drive. That's, you know, that's not like overweight truck. The first job I got, I actually got accepted for was a job at this place. It's called like Capital Pump, right? And and um, they have some CDL driving there, but they were taking like F1 or F350s and putting a trailer on the back of it. And then like hauling, you know, their equipment. It was a, it was a pump, it was a pump company where they, they basically rented their, their pumps to different, um, to different places. And they used them to like pump sewage or do bypasses or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, and so th- this was the truck that I was, that I was supposed to be driving. It wasn't even a truck. It was an F-350 with a trailer on it, but because it exceeded 26,000 pounds that needed a CDL driver. And mm-hmm. so that was my first gig. You know what I mean? I didn't even get a chance to drive a, a trailer or a flatbed or, or a tanker or nothing. And so just to do that. So then I, I got a couple months experience and then I ended up getting another job that was like a regional job where basically I, I was driving from Arizona to California, a regional route that paid a little bit better, but they had like a training period for like the first six weeks. So I was only getting paid $700 flat. And then, but I didn't, I didn't end up seeing that through. I ended up getting another job um, that was, that was just more local. And I was delivering for a place called Hensley uh, Beverage, which is basically delivering beer and, and different kinds of um, beverages. And then they they paid, they were paying, uh, I think the first four weeks I was getting paid by the hour. I was getting paid like, I want to say like $23 an hour or something like that. And then after that, I got my own route. And then this is how they get you. They put me on salary, which sounds good. Because, all right, you're on salary. But the problem is if you don't know that route, you don't do that route well, you haven't been doing it long, it's going to take you longer than a 10-hour day to complete it, you know? So they'd end up getting more time out of me for less, you know? And so these are the games that they play. And then eventually, obviously, my older brother um, put a down payment on a truck. And then I, and then we owned our own business. And I was driving over the road. You know, there's a number of things that that, uh, it just didn't, it didn't fit me, man. You know, I, I doing all that time in prison and then you're back on the road and I mean, you're on the road, but then you're back in a, um, you're back in essentially in a room, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? You're, you're living in this room. And so, you know, you start to get those, you know, walls closing in on you kind of thing. And, and, and if you've done a lot of time, you know, sometimes that that's hard cause you're still out there, you're still alone. Yeah. You got access to everybody, but you know, I'm a social bug, man. I like to be, I like to be around people. And so, um, yeah, that started to mount on me and and it does different things to you mentally. And then you, you start acting that once you get around people, then all, you know, it's like, it's too much, it's overwhelming. And so, um, that, that career didn't fit me, you know, but a lot of people are, are using that route. A lot of, you know, people that are getting out of prison and, and I, even like my brother and, and a few guys that, that I've talked to that have getting out and, and I've kept it honest with them. I said, well, listen, you know, these are the things you got to consider, you know, all the things that I'm explaining right now. So guys that get out of prison, I think it, that's, that's important to consider, man. I mean, are you an introvert? Are you like to be alone? Yeah, it'll work. You know, do you not have a place to go? You know, you, you don't mind um, being on the road and away from everybody. Then yeah, that's, that's an ideal job, you know, but if you get out and you gotta, you gotta, you know, like you got a foundation, you got a support system, you got a family, you got kids. Uh, this is a really, really hard job to take on. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But it's just one of those jobs that um, it offers a little more money right out the gate, you know? So obviously people get out of prison, they feel like they got to make up time. And so you you always want to get the most money right out the, you know, right out the gate, even though um, I wish I would have, I wish I would have thought that through better. Um, Go ahead. You got a question? Well, I mean, the only thing I would say to that is, is that, you know, yeah, you probably could have thought that through better, but, but, um, a big part of that is, is that's life, man. You, you took a risk and it just wasn't the right thing for you, you know, and, and that very, 
that has a very small percentage of having to do with coming out of prison. It was just that, you know, you got turned on to something, thought it was a good idea, and then it turned out to not be a good idea. So Right. It didn't fit me. It didn't fit me one. Um, and then the stars kind of aligned for me to not be in that business anymore because the economy um, took a shit. Right. And so diesel went up to like six dollars a ga- gallon. And, and um, you know, for for guys that are j- just getting out and you're working for um, a company, that's not going to matter, obviously. Right. Because they they pay for the fuel. But for us, you know, for me, um, I was basically an owner operator. I, I, I had my own business. And so everything was coming out of pocket. And, you know, you're renting a trailer and you're, you're paying for diesel. And, you know, it, listen, in the trucking industry, man, no no bill you're going to get is less than a thousand dollars. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, you blow out a tire, you know, you eight, $900 and then, you know, depending on where you're at, you got to pay to get it towed. And, and there's just a bunch of different elements, bro, that are, that I was unprepared for. Just put it like that. You know, I didn't have experience. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have any knowledge really other than what I learned in school, which was four weeks of nothing. I, I shouldn't even have passed the damn, I shouldn't even have passed the test to be honest with you. The first when I when I took the um the driving test, bro, I did so bad. <laughs> I did so bad on the road. Like I um I, I might have been like two blocks away from the school when I ran a red light. Um and, and I tell I tell you, because they have what they call the the um it's like a it's a it's a no slow zone. It, it's it's called a point of no return. So basically if you're coming up to a light and you get within a truck's length of the light and it hits yellow on you. You, you're at a point of no return, meaning that you're going to cause more damage if you try to slow that truck down opposed mm-hmm. to just go through it. And so I misjudged it. I was more than a truck length away and um, you know, I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm nervous. And then I can't really drive stick. You know what I mean? Like I can't drive manual for real. Like I'm really learning on the go. And the majority of your training where I went to school at is on a, it's on like a parking lot pad. So it's not like you're driving out along the road. Like they, they, they take a couple guys every day, but there's so many guys you're not going every day. You know, you'd be lucky to go once a week, you know, once every two weeks. And I was only there for five weeks, I think. So I might've went out on the road like three times, maybe, you know what I mean? So I'm taking this damn driving test, you know, just because I aced like the other elements of it. Like I aced like the, um, the pre-trip inspection and then all the written parts of it, you know, that part was easier for me, but that doesn't mean I know how to drive manual. You know what I'm saying? So I'm out here and I'm just, I'm burning this thing, bro. There's no way I should have, I should have passed it. But you know, this is what happens when you have uh trucking companies that, you know, they privately contract somebody who can issue a license, you know what I mean? So this guy, he basically gave me my license. I didn't deserve it. You know what I mean? And, um, <laughs> You know, I won't mention the school because he might still work there, but, but, uh, yeah. So that's the thing, man. Like, you know, you don't expect to learn a lot in these schools. You know, they're basically, they're getting the money because nine, you know, like me, I got a grant for the school. And, um, so they're getting the money, it's free money for them. And then they're, they're, they're basically pushing them out as fast as they can bring them in. You know what I'm saying? So that's one thing, you know, guys that getting in the trucking industry, I'd advise you if you do want to do that, you know, do a little bit of, do a little bit of research, man, do a little bit of background on, on, um, the business, the industry in general, man, I knew nothing. Everything I was doing was a first, <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's not good when you're running a company. And so, um, yeah, that, that, that one, that one was not a wise career choice for me, but it seems to be very popular in the, you know, in, in in the prisons, you know, getting out. And so that's choice one, you know, for a lot of people. The biggest mistake you probably made there is you went owner operator way too early. You, you should have, I mean, as well as it sounds like it wasn't the right gig for you in, you know, the life you wanted to have. But the biggest mistake was, was that you went owner operated early before you understood really what all went into that business. Right. You know. And to be fair, right? Like to be fair, when I first started um, driving as an owner operator, the money was good. You know, like we're pulling in 12 grand in a week. And then, you know, after expenses, we still got like seven and a half, eight grand. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? I say we, cause my brother obviously was invested in the truck. And so the first couple, couple months were like gravy, you know, <laughs> and then, and then once those, once those gas prices started going up and then you start getting you know, cause this happens. It's a machine. You start getting miscellaneous shit that breaks down. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. You got to do that. 
everything costs money and, and all that profit, you know, it's, it goes down the drain really, really fast. And then for somebody like me, you know, I'm pulling in maybe like two grand a week, you know, or close to like 1700 a week after everything's paid for. And to me, that wasn't worth it. That wasn't worth being away from my family for all that time, you know, and, and then having that check consistently means you got to stay on the road. You know what I'm saying? There wasn't no weekends off. And so, um, yeah, man, it just, it just really wasn't a big fit for me, bro. And, um, you know, the industry is, is, it's diverse. I can say that, you know, I noticed there's a lot of diversity in the industry. You know, you get a lot of like, right now there's a lot of like, uh, I don't want to miss, I think there's Somalians. There's a lot of them. You know, there's a lot of those guys that got trucks. There's so you you'll run into like um it's a crazy life, man. I'll tell you that, man. To be in those truck stops and to be um you know what I mean, you know, sleeping in your shit, you're showering in, in truck stops. It's not for everybody, man. You know, you're going to have to pull off on the pot side of the road sometimes and and piss and it just it, you know, it just I don't know, man. It's not for everybody. It wasn't for me, at least. Um and so I had to pivot. I had to pivot, man. I had to make a choice and I had to pivot and I did. And when I made the choice to pivot, I, you know, um, this wasn't by design, but when I was, when I was in prison, um, I had a good friend of mine and we'll just say his name's T right. Um, T is actually the one when I got out who convinced me to get into trucking because there was money there and he was right. You know, he, he's an owner operator right now. He's got seven trucks, you know, so he succeeded in what he was doing. Obviously, it fit his character, though, you know, and then he got out like a little bit before me, maybe a year or so, maybe two. I don't know. Um, So he got out when the economy was really good. Trucks were still like 45,000, 50,000. By the time I got to it, it was already 75,000 for our truck. But anyways, so while I was in there, you know, T was my guy. He was cool. And um, T was also he was also an army vet and he was an electrician in the army. And so, you know. I started taking interest in the trade, you know, probably a couple years before I got out. Once I found out he was an electrician, I just went to him. I was like, yo, what's up, man? Like, you know, if you got some free time, you know, would you mind like sitting down with me and kind of just discussing the field with me and the electrical field? And he's like, man, cool. No problem. And, and that, you know, that was really like when I seen like, you know, we had a good friendship and literally, man, every day for six months, this dude would sit down with me for an hour, hour and a half. And, you know, I ordered some books from, from, uh, there's a, there's a guy that runs a good program. It's called, uh, he, his name is Mike Holt. And uh, he, he has like a bunch of electrical books. They're really, really good. And they're really, really easy to understand, you know, when you're going through them. Now, they're easy to understand and they're, they're you know, but for me, I didn't really know what I was looking at, right? Like this is just, I'm imagining, trying to imagine. I know nothing about electricity. I know nothing about, <laughs> uh, nothing about the trade. And so trying to grasp something that you have no idea what it is, it's really hard to grasp. And then it's even harder to retain. So I'm lucky I retained a little bit that I did, but we were going at it, man. Every day, every day, every day I'd order them books. Um, he, uh, T even, he even ordered me a, a NEC book, which is the national electrical code book. Um, and so I would study, man, I would study and, and I would, you know, I do all the, all the shit that you think would help you, you know, I flash cards and all the shit. And then um, so I really put in a lot of work there. And so when I got out and I decided to do the to truck driving, you know, I just put that on a back burner. And then when I had to pivot, naturally, I went back to that because I felt like I invested my time in it. I felt like I, I really wanted to see what it was about. What caused you to, to, was it just the opportunity that you thought getting out, okay, if I get into trucking, it's going to make me a ton of money and that's why I'm going to go there? after you had just invested all this time into being an electrician? Like what was your mindset there? Yeah. So, so the elect, the electrician game was a, was a long game. You know what I'm saying? Like that was a long-term game and I knew nothing about truck driving. I knew nothing about it. I didn't have, I didn't even have that thought in my head when I got on, it was not even an option. And then when I got out and, um, you know, obviously I'm, you know, I got up with, with T, I, you know, I called him up and we're talking, you know, just, and, um, just about, you know, man is happy to be out and, I asked him like, "What you doing?" You know, and he's like, "Cause he he had originally planned too to um to get back into the electrical trade, you know, but as as his own entity, he wanted to he wanted to cause he's a journeyman, he wanted to have his own business, and so that was his original plan. But I guess when he got out, you know, somebody from his family was trucking and put him on it, and so that's what made him transition. 
And then when he was talking to me and he started talking numbers, that's what made me want to transition. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you start talking about numbers that, you know, you're talking about, like I said, seven, $8,000 a week consistently, you know, after not having to pay taxes because everything's going to become a write-off. It was really, really enticing, you know, mm-hmm. opposed to starting off in the electrical trade, I'm going to be bottom of the barrel. And so, yeah, that was the, that was why it was enticing to me. Interesting. Yeah. So, so look, so here, here's the crazy part and I didn't know this, right. And this is going to sound really, really naive and really, really stupid, but I'll preface this by saying I grew up with no knowledge about like anything handy. Like my dad wasn't a handyman, you know, um, I had uncles that were like roofers, but basically, man, I knew the difference between a flathead and a Phillips screwdriver. That was, that was my, that was where I, you know, that was my range right there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't know much, man. And so I had no idea that an electrician is actually really like a construction worker. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I thought <laughs> I had an idea, like, uh, you know, electrician is like these guys that come in and they use their brains, you know what I'm saying? And, and they figure these problems out or they mathematically do all these things with electricity and, that's not at all what electric- electricians are. Um, there, there are electricians that do certain things like that, obviously to like map out all the numbers and, and like wire poles and all that shit. That's like engineering. Right. And so that's a, that's a little bit, a little bit above my pay grade, but the electrician element of it is literally, man, you're starting a building from the bottom with, with construction workers, man. And you're on a job site with, you know, all these different trades. You got iron workers and plumbers and, um, you know, different people that do the, the grading of the ground and the cement work. And there's just all these different elements that go into it. And I never, I never knew it. I never knew that that's what electricians were, but I will say this. Once I found that out, I also found out that the trades are really a second chance job. You know, a lot of people who've had checkered histories, they go into the trade, man. You know, most of the times, you know, the trades will give you a shot. They'll give guys a shot unless they're like really, really prestigious companies. You know, some of those higher end companies, they won't do it, Um, especially because they go into like clearance, you know, clearance necessary. They have like buildings that require a necessary clearance, you know, so they can't have you on a job site kind of thing. But most companies, man, will give you a shot. And that's where apparently all the... (laughs) the felons that are productive members of society are in the construction trade. I learned that. I learned that really fast. And I also learned one other thing. And this is, this is one thing that blew my mind, you know, is, you know, as much as a a lot of people are like up in arms about immigration and, and rightfully so, I understand it. It hurts. It hurts the country to some extent. Those immigrants are who's building America. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like no bullshit, man you know, 75% of the people on a job site don't speak English, you know, whether they're Mexican, Guatemalan, um, whatever it is, you know, from, from the bottom to the top, including electricians, there's some electricians that they don't have papers, plumbers, um, definitely iron workers, drywallers, painters. And so, um, it seems like the bottom of the barrel shit jobs are construction jobs because, (laughs) Uh, you know, this is where all the, you know, the immigrants are at and felons are at, but I will tell this to the people that who are getting out of prison, man, you can make a career here. You can make a career in this field. And, and I'm speaking probably in any, I I can't speak for plumbers or or for the other trades, but you know, my cousin's an iron worker. He's got a checkered history. Um, he's in a union and he's making really, really good money. Um, I'm an electrician, not in a union not making really, really good money, but I'm on, I'm on my path to, you know, I understand like there's a process and I know that when I get to a certain point, I'll be worth a certain amount of money. And then it only goes up from there. And so, you know, this is more my gauge. This is more my speed, man. Like, you know, I can come home every night, you know, sure. I wake up at the butt crack of dawn, you know what I'm saying? And I got to go through all that shit and, you know, but, um, the, the trades are really, man, I think, they're really, really fundamental in, in bringing people or giving people a chance to be really, really successful in, in life. Now, 
the thing is, is they're a long game, though. You know, it's a long term game. You know, it's not and it's not, you know, I can go get an insurance job and start making commission and pulling in over 100K a year. No, it's not that. But, you know, it's stability. You know, and the good things about the good thing about these, like, especially like being an electrician, obviously I'm going to advocate for my own trade. You know, the good thing about like being an electrician is, is nine times out of 10, you get with a decent company, they're going to pay for you for, to go to school. And so, you know, at the end of that schooling, yeah, it's four years. seems like a long time, big commitment. But if you know there's an end game at the end of that schooling, you know, you write your own ticket, you know, you become a journeyman, you could write your own ticket out here. You need a contractor's license. Um, to have your own company because it's a little different in a right to work state. But as a journeyman in Wisconsin or any of these unionized states, you're golden, man. You're golden, you know? And so, yeah, man, listen, if I had to, if I had to, and, and I've, I've, I've told my brother this, if I had to give advice as far as where to go, you know, and how to not take a misstep and something that doesn't fit you, you know, cause you can be bumping around jobs, you know, unless you're like my friend where you find one job and stay there for nine years, you know, you could be working through temp services and, and job here, job there, and you're just job hopping, looking for a higher wage. And then that comes and bites you in the ass because now a real job doesn't want to hire you because you're a job hopper. And, <laughs> and so there's, there's all these different elements that go into play, man, when you get out and you're a felon that I never knew nothing about. And, you know, unfortunately I couldn't ask my wife about it because she doesn't know what it's like to be a felon fresh out of prison, <laughs> you know? So yeah, man, I just think that like, you know, if there's guys that get out and, 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 um, you know, and they somehow they hear the show or that somebody knows them and they hear the show and they want to they want to email in and ask a question, man, about anything, you know, electrician related, trade related, even even trucking related. I can give you whatever knowledge I have on that. Um, you know, definitely feel free to to email and 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 I'll I'll definitely answer every question I can, man, because ultimately that's 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 the the biggest to me. That's the biggest proponent of whether you're going to be successful or not when you get out of prison. And that is, can you can you get into a good job and can you hold on to it? And the biggest part is going to be getting into it. You know, holding on to it is just going to be your own discipline. That's why I said that's where the rigors of life kick you in the ass and the monotony of getting up every day and doing the same shit and meal prepping and doing all that shit. It gets old, man, but you understand there's a means to it. You know, but the, the thing is, is getting in the door. You mm-hmm. know, getting in the door is, it seems to be the biggest hurdle. You know, there's a lot of people that I guarantee you, man, they have so many skills to offer, but they're just not given the opportunity. I don't know this to be true, but I've been told this many times that I would have been a good car salesman, insurance salesman, all these different kind of opportunities that involve sales. But guess what? I can't, I can't even attempt to because I'm a felon. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's unfortunate because who knows what kind of salesman I would have been? Who knows what kind of commission I could man? Who knows? You know, I, I don't know whether I'd have been successful or not. But point is, I never had that opportunity. Yeah, man, I like to think that if guys get out and they're they're uncertain, I like to think that there would be more opportunities out there. But you know, it's really either go work a regular job, you know, and and try to try to make it to the top, build the ladder organically, or you know, find something that you know, it is more, I don't know, man. I just feel like being in construction, this is going to sound stupid, but I feel like being in construction, man, like you, you feel like, uh, uh, what do they say? Honest days work for honest days pay. You know what I'm saying? Like you bust your ass, man, but, but you get that satisfaction too, you know, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of shit, man. You look around, you'd be like, man, you know, not the, the average Joe can't do this shit. And they probably can, but you tell yourself that because it makes you feel better. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It makes you feel better, man. And it makes you feel like, you know what? I'm getting up, I'm doing something. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm busting my ass. I'm doing something. And, um, you know, when you're in the trenches, it's, it's not really fun, but you know, the satisfaction of knowing, you know, like for me, example, man, I'm work right now. I'm working on a, uh, it's like a 30 to $40 million project. And it's, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge job. It's nine buildings. And basically they are, they're luxury condos. So, basically they're they're going to range anywhere from 1 million dollars for a condo to 4 million dollars and they're huge these are huge you know these buildings you know i came when when basically when just they just put a shovel in the dirt 
Like it's mm-hmm. nothing. Started from nothing. I can't see. I can't imagine nothing. That's one thing that I'm I'm getting better at as I as I continue to, um, you know, progress and and learn in the trade and and you know with work experience, I'm getting better at it. But um, these guys have been around for 20 years, bro, 15 years. We go and we're on a plot of dirt, and they're like, yeah, the bathroom's over there, and the 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 kitchen's over there and i'm looking around like what the fuck do you see man i don't see nothing out here <laughs> you know and so you know that comes with time but but my point of saying that is that i take pride and i'm sure everybody else does too you, you'll take pride like once once all them pipes are in the ground you know when you have you you completed a task and you you start understanding how to read blueprints and then the building starts coming up little by little and you realize how much of how much of you is in it and it's not fucked up it it, it feels good you know what I'm saying? It feels like, and then you, you always know, like when you go by that, them structures, man, I lit that whole building, like that building right there. I did that whole building. So I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but I take pride in shit like that. You know what well, I'm saying? And actually I can, I have a story that kind of relates to that because when I, right after I got out of the military, I sided houses for a little while and there's still a house right around this area that I drive past sometimes that I sided. And there's always just that level of like accomplishment every time I look at it because I know the siding on it, half of it was put on by me. So I exactly. guess, I mean, there's not a lot of things that you do that you can get that kind of, I don't know, accomplishment all the time, you know, over and right, over. That, that, uh, right, right, that, that sense of euphoria, you know what I'm saying? That sort of that, that, uh, that pride swell. And, um, and it's physical, so it's different, right? So let me ask you, you would know, right? So that's a physical thing that you did and you take pride in it. Does it line up next to, let's just say, producing a show? Like you don't produce a show and be like, yeah, I produced that. You know what I'm saying? That's a, Actually, you, though, I have been, when you say producing show, I mean, you, I assume you mean like a podcast. Editing. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. And, and actually, I have been, I've never used to do this, but recently I've started listening to a lot of the podcasts that I okay. do make and that there okay. is definitely a sense of accomplishment in that as well. So, okay. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, I guess, I mean, it, it carries across all lines, but you know, my point is that when you work with your hands, you just kind of feel a little bit different. You know, I bet mm-hmm. you that day you're probably, you probably looked up like, damn, I did that shit. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. You probably looked up like, damn, I'm, I'm not too bad. I've and, done and, that before. And I'll be honest with you in my scenario, I would never go back and do that again. But that, that house does hold a little, you know, spot in my heart because of it. Right. So why wouldn't you do it again? Because of the labor or it just didn't fit? Yeah, you man, that, that siding a house is a lot of work. And, and that was like a, like a large two story house that we did and getting up on ladders, standing on roofs. Yeah. That that's not for me, man. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, what's crazy, man, is that as I, um, as I go to work every day and I'm, I'm like learning and, and, you know, I'm, I'm watching these buildings get put up. Um, I used to have a really, really bad, bad fear of heights, like really bad fear of heights. Like I would get dizzy and um, I swear, it seems like now that I've been, I've been like, you know, I go up ladders all the time now. Cause I'm only on the third level. Don't get me wrong. I wanted to build it. It's like, it's not like I'm, you know, skyscraper or nothing, <laughs> but even that used to bother me. Yeah, man. Like I, I think, I think, uh, I think early on in my life, I, I was, uh, I was a daredevil, right? Like when I, I told you when I was, when I was a kid, we used to like garage hop when we'd be playing tag and shit and I, heights never, never scared me, man. I w- I wanted to get the top of every tree. And then at some point that changed and I, I was terrified of heights. And now it's kind of like going back to where, yeah, I don't like being up too high, but you know, once you're up there, like you're kind of just working. You know what I mean? You're not really paying attention. So I think that was like one, one thing for me. How, how are you with heights? Uh, heights are, mm. I, I always describe myself as the type of person that's afraid of everything and I just do it anyways. So heights do Ooh. make me nervous, but, but there's never a yeah. height that yeah, I my, my cousin just because I just forced myself to do it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you went all I mean, out. I've, I've skydived and stuff like that. So, so yeah. if, if I was going to say I'm afraid of heights. Yeah, you're a savage. Um, yeah, my, my, my cousin is, uh, he's an iron worker, like I said, and he sends me videos all the time just to make me like gag. Cause his, his, he's like, he's like, you know, crazy high up in the air on like a boom lift. (laughs) I don't know if you know what a boom lift is, but it's basically like, uh, yeah, it's a little bucket that lifts you outside the building. 
and um yeah and and it lifts you high you know and those things are not oh, the God. most firm they shake in the wind yeah it's 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 brutal like if you got a fear of heights man boom lifts are not good i think that's when i kind of knew like i was over it a little bit like not a lot but um i was on a scissor lift and so scissor lifts are weird in the sense that they rock you know what i'm saying like they feel like man if i if i do this too much like i can tip over like i can literally tip over like you feel like that i mean i don't think it's going to happen you know when it's on stable ground like you're talking about you know i don't even know 1500 pounds maybe that's firm on the floor you know you're whatever 200 pounds at best 300 you know mm -hmm. shaking it i don't think you're going to turn it over but it feels like it and um i had to i had to i was putting up like these boxes or some shit for like mm -hmm. some some big chandeliers that were going to be uh, put there in the future. I remember being up there at, and I was like scared, man. Like I was like, I was like almost like I didn't want to move in the in the scissor lift because when you move, that's when it sways back and forth, you know, and I'm already I'm not even I was like two story. I was like up two stories. And so not crazy high, but and then I just remember like kind of calming myself down was like, all right, just focus on getting this box up here, man. Like people do this shit all the time. You know what I mean? And um, I went ahead and I, you know, I manned up and I did it. And then I think from there, man, it was just kind of like, yeah, like, yeah, it sucks. I don't like the way heights are, but you kind of just do it because you figure, all right, everybody else is doing it. And then you're, you're, you're going to be safe in these situations. Like they're going to give you like a harness and you're going to be tied off. I mean, you know, relatively speaking, you're going to be safe because anything can happen. But, um, but, you know, but they're going to take precautions. And so. You're right. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, one thing I will say, you know, if guys are still trying to, you know, pick about, pick the information I'm giving about like the electrical trade, man, is it's, you know, if I start by saying, yes, it is hard work, you know, it's not going to be easy, you know, in, in new builds and new construction, you're going to be in trenches, literally in trenches and dirt and um, not fun, especially out here, 120 degree weather, not ideal. Um, but once you get past like the labor part of it and this this is going to be on the person right so let me let me let me specify this it's going to be on the person that gets into the trade um to decide whether they want it to be their career and really take it seriously because there's many people that come into the trade that come in um this is another thing that was i didn't know was new to me but they come in to be to work as an electrician but they're just laborers bro like they just come in they work their whatever 40 or if there's overtime and then that's it. They, they don't want to, they're not trying to learn. They don't want to read prints. They don't want to do anything. They just want to go work, get their money and go home. There's a lot of people like that. And I think that was like eye opening to me. I wasn't prepared for that. I was like, what the hell? Like I thought everybody that became an electrician mm -hmm. or was trying to become an electrician um, did it to be like a journeyman. You know, everybody was going to school, everybody, but that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Um, so it's going to be on the person. And, and what I mean by that too, is when I, I got hired in October, man. And then, you know, basically when I got hired, you know, the company, they sells you, they sell you on it. Listen, we'll pay if you go to school. It's all about, you know, you can grow up the ladder and this and this and that. And I think they half-assed don't expect most people to follow up on that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think they just kind of like, these guys are coming here to work, get a paycheck, whatever. <laughs> um, I immediately followed up on it. Like I, I, I started I started working in October and I started school in January. And so that never happens. Like people are usually waiting six months, eight months and not me. Like I, as soon as I got in, I wanted to know, okay, yeah, let me do the schooling. Let's get this out the way. Like let's start getting this together. And so, yeah, man, if the person is motivated, whoever it is, when you come in um, as an electrician, you can definitely get to it. You know, you get a company that, that pays for schooling and you just get to it, man. Um, and there's no special requirements, you know, it, the felony shit doesn't bother you. Uh, it's not going to bother them, you know, so I don't know, bro. Me personally, it, it, let me, let me, let me compare it a little bit to, to truck driving. Right. And you can tell me if I was, if I was being paranoid or not. Right. So, you know, as a truck driver, right. I explained to you right out the gate, obviously you're living in basically the size of a cell. That's your cell. Um, you have some more, you have a little, you have a few more amenities, you know, you can have a TV in there mm -hmm. and a microwave and a refrigerator and, and, you know, shit like that. And you got your access to your phone and internet and all that. Yeah, that's cool. Right. But here's where it starts to get a little more like prison. 
All right. So when you're driving, you're driving these loads, right? Um, you're driving all across the country and, you know, new people, you're not going to know where the hell you're at, where the hell you're going. You don't know where the truck stops at. You don't know none of that shit. Um, so that sucks. It's like, you're just homeless looking for a place to stay. You're driving and you're always watching out for cops because you're trying to beat time, right? Cause deliveries have to be on time. So you might be driving a little mm -hmm. faster than you should. Not crazy. You want to be safe, but you know, for example, in California, their speed limit for truck drivers is 55 miles an hour. Like, do you know how slow that is for a truck driver? Like, yeah, yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. And so, um, yeah, like you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be going a little faster. So you're always looking out for cops, right? You don't want to get pulled over because dot, which is, you know what I mean? For over here, it's like Arizona Department of Transportation. Like they're, they're, they're assholes. They'll pull you over for anything. Um, but here's what I hated. This was like my biggest, biggest thing. And like, I would literally mm -hmm. get like, um, I would get that feeling like before I used to get raided when I was in the street, like this is literally how serious it got for me. My anxiety going past way stations, way stations were like the ultimate anxiety attack for me, bro, for some reason. And, um, as a new driver, especially as an owner operator, they're going to pull you in every time. Cause they want to make sure they want to see, like, even like we were under an established DOT number, which is department of transportation, Everybody has a motor carrier number. And we were one that was already, we were with one that was already established because even though we were, I was an owner operator and we had our own truck, we leased on to a company. And um, we did that for a number of reasons. Um, but anyways, so they would pull me in, bro. And I got pulled in like full search. And it's like, it's like a cop raiding your room or shaking down your room. And for me, it was like getting raided in the street. It was the craziest anxiety I would get, bro. And every time I go past a way station, which is every time you go, um, every time you get to a border, any border, you're going to have to go through a way station, state, state border. And then some states are so big, they have them in the middle of the states. You know what I mean? So man, that, that was like, so I warn guys, if you have anxiety about things like that, trust me, man, that's another thing. So I don't know. I mean, does it sound like I was paranoid? I was tripping, but I'm telling you, that's, that's how I felt. I, I could definitely see how that for somebody yeah. that had been in prison would be very, very un flattering you know you would not want to deal with that I, I would feel coming out of prison you would just not want to have to deal with the government with with police any sort of like suited regulator type things would be something i would want to stay as far away from as possible super yeah. stressful yeah super stressful and then they're like flipping your shit they're searching your shit bro and you're like in your head you're like i know i ain't doing it wrong but you're like what if they find something what if the people who loaded me up put something in there? You know what I'm saying? You never know. You're like, you're just, you're, you're, you know what I'm saying? Like for somebody who was in the street life, that's the first thing you think like, damn, what if they find something? What are they going to do? Like, I'm just, I'm doing my job. You know what I'm saying? And then, so that's one crazy stress for me. And then here was another anxiety I just thought about. And this is, this goes for more for owner operators, but bro, you're entirely responsible for this load. And so Man, bro, I promise you from the time I got my truck to the time I didn't have my truck, um, I've never had a fully functional, reliable trailer. Um, I ran reefer, which is refrigerated. And so, but I didn't own my trailer because that's another $35,000, dollars to buy a trailer. So I rented it from mm -hmm. a trailer rented place. But this trailer rented place, you know, because they don't charge a lot, they're not giving you like grade A trailers. And so- Literally, the first trailer I had was like, you know, pissing oh Freon God. out. And it was, you know, I, I I had to worry that my 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 refrigeration wasn't staying as cold as it should have. So I'd pick a load up and I'd be driving. And because, um, you know, uh, the it's designed this way, but on the trailer, the you know, like the, the thermometer and the reader for the, for the trailer is on, is, is on the left side. So it's on the driver's side. So you can look in your rearview mirror and see the color it is. Right. And so if it's white, obviously it's good or green, it's good. But then it, if it's orange or it's red, obviously it's bad. And so that shit would go off bro, and, and I'd panic. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I have to pull over. I got to get out. Oh shit. My temperature's dropping. You know what I'm saying? And then, and then you're responsible for this load. Bro, I remember one time I was taking a load from Yuma, Arizona, right? It was a load of lettuce and I had to go all the way up to Wisconsin. Cause I was like going to stay home for a little bit. And so 
this is a long ass trip, right? And so I'm I'm driving to Yuma and I'm almost late for this appointment. I see the the damn the the trailer light, it's orange. And I'm like, oh my God. And so the temperature's dropping because I set the temperature um where it needed to be. I think it was like 60 degrees. I think it was like 60 degrees, which was good, right? Because it was lettuce. So if if it would have had to be frozen, mm-hmm. I'd have been hit. I'd have been I'd have been shit out of luck. But because it was like 60 degrees. It was, I ended up being okay, but the temperature kept rising. It was like 65 and 67. I'm like, oh my God. So I go back there and then like there's certain buttons, like you can clear faults, you know, you can clear a fault and then, and then it'll start regulating back to where it should be. And so I did that and then it it wouldn't let me, wouldn't let me. And so me and my brother were like in crisis mode. We need to pick this load up on time. But at the same time, I can't pick this load up without the Freon in there. And so we literally are calling around places on my way to Yuma, trying to see if there's somewhere I could stop and get free on and, and, you know, fix this trailer. And we end up finding like this, he's like a sole proprietor, bro. And, um, I pull up to his shop. He charges me like $1,700, bro, to fill up my free on. And, and this is out of my pocket. I got to pay for this shit, man. We get the free on. I go to pick up the load. Everything's cool. Everything's everything's white and green or whatever the fuck. I picked the load up. Um, oh, so here, so here's the trippy part. Here's the trippy part. Bef- when, when before he fills the Freon up, right? I'm in the loading dock. I'm I'm getting loaded. I'm getting ready to get loaded. But he was right there. So he starts doing my Freon right as they're loading. Now my temperature is where it should be, and they checked it. And so I just told him like, no, I'm just capping off my free and I got a long trip. You know, they don't know my shit's <laughs> fucked up. You know what I'm saying? They don't know that my shit's just, it's just, you know what I'm saying? I don't know it at the time. You know, I'm trying to lie the best I can. So I'm like, yeah, man, I got to, you know, I got to drive all the way there. And they're like, well, you can't fix your truck while you're at our loading dock. And so I'm like, yo, I want to get two birds with one stone. And so I'm like, all right, don't worry about it. I'll have him stop. And so he pulls the free on off and I have to pull off to the side once I get loaded and he finishes and. So they, you know, I'm surprised they let the load go, but they did. And so, bro, I get, I I go to, I follow this dude. I could have burned him, right? I could have burned him because he didn't have a credit card reader on him. He's like, can you follow me? Can you follow me to my house or to my little business? And so I end up following him, but I could have, you know, hit a hard right, just took off. I was going to chase me down. I don't know, but I'm not a piece of shit. So I paid him, but, um, bro, I get to like, man, I want to say it was like Missouri, right? And the orange light comes on. And I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me, bro. And so I go out there and it's still like, it's still at like 65, but, and it's stable at 65, but the orange light's on. So I just clear the fault and it's stable. All right, boom. And I get all the way up to, I get all the way up to uh, Ozaki is where I was going. I was going to like a roundies or some shit mm-hmm. to deliver this lettuce. And, and I get there. This was the cool part, right? About being, having your own. I guess being your own owner operators, when I drive, I drive through Milwaukee. And, um, so I ended up like picking my brother up and he drove with me, you know, just to hang out with me and shit. And so we drive up there and I pull in, I'm on time, everything's good. And you know, it's going to be a great night. In my mind, it's gonna be a great night, right? It's smooth. I got here on time. Everything's good. The temperature stayed stable at 65. And so I back into my door, back into my dock, which is a whole nother headache about how long it takes to get a, get docked and loading and all that shit. And if guys got questions about that, you definitely ask because that's a part of the job that is not told <laughs> to you, you know, and you don't get paid. You don't get paid. Um, if you're getting paid 40 cents a mile, um, how many miles are you driving if you're parked at a dock for eight hours? You know, so people don't, people don't, you got to take that into consideration. So anyways, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there. And then what they do is you sit there and they usually take your phone number and they'll call you and say, Hey, your doors re- are, you're ready. You know, you got to go in and sign the papers, get the bill of lading, and then you take off. The bill of lading is, is everything mm-hmm. in that business. And so like, Hey, come in, man. And I go in and, um, it, it wasn't long though. I wasn't there long. I was probably there like 30 minutes. I'm like, man, these dudes are fast, you know, but you can fill them in the trailer. Like you can fill them in the trailer when they, when they get in there on mm-hmm. the forklift and shit. And so, uh, I go in there and like, yeah, we're rejecting your load. And my heart sunk. You know what I'm saying? Now you got to remember, this is $20,000 worth of fucking lettuce. You know what I'm saying? Like, Holy shit. I don't have the money to cover that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, you know, yeah, I'm paying for insurance. I'm paying for cargo insurance, but I'm sure there's going to be some kind of deductible I'm going to have to meet. You know what I'm saying? 
And so I'm, I'm shitting bricks. I'm like, Oh my God. And so, um, I'm like, do you mind if I ask why you guys refused? You know, and I'm in my head, I'm thinking they're going to say temperature and they're like, Oh, the, the lettuce is defective. We don't, we don't want the lettuce. I'm like, so it's got nothing. It's got nothing to do with temperature or anything like that. And everything's good on that. They're like, no, you're fine. They're like, it's just the lettuce is defective. We open up a couple boxes and it's effective. I'm like, all right, bet, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's the best feeling in the world. And then I just got to call my broker and tell him, hey, listen, they 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 didn't take it. And so I ended up keeping the load until the next day and and delivering it in Chicago. But um, you know, those are those are real things. As an owner operator, bro, there's nobody mm-hmm. to fall back on. If that load goes to shit, you're responsible, no matter what. You know what I'm saying? And you're taking a hit. And you have twenty thousand dollars. You know what I'm saying? Especially at that time, I was like two months in or a month in. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't have nothing. And so those are very real problems when you're an owner operator, man. That is and, a um, terrifying thought, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. You know, as a company driver, a lot of dudes are probably like, "Who gives a shit?" You know, if something happens, the company's got to pay for it. You pop a tire, company's got to pay for it. Gas, company's got to pay for it. So. It's a little different. You know what I mean? It's a lot. Of, it's a little less stress, mm-hmm. but the money's different too. You know, the money's different too. Now, don't get me wrong, man. Right before um, I had to I had to shut the business down, they started paying like experienced drivers. They were paying them crazy money, bro. And that's another problem because I got out of the truck and we were trying to basically keep the business going for a little bit. So we paid, we were paying drivers. And the first driver we had was really good. He was a really good driver, but he was experienced. And so we ended up giving him a percentage of our of our of our loads instead of paying him a rate. And it was he was taking a lot of our money, you know. Um, and then we got another driver, and we were paying him a dollar a mile, and that was killing us. So we're like, damn, you know. And I had I had guys that were you know because we're essentially employers, so we're putting out feelers to to try to get a, a driver. And guys that are calling from other companies are like just interested seeing what the money's like. They're like, man, I'm getting paid a dollar fifty an hour over here, or I'm getting paid, yeah, crazy numbers. I'm like, dude, you're not an owner operator getting paid a dollar fifty an hour. Like, that's ridiculous. I don't even know how the company mm-hmm. is surviving, you know, because with especially with fuel prices at that time. And so I don't know, man. I, I probably just made a strong case for all the future truck drivers <laughs> not to be a truck driver. But I like I said, man, it's just about fit. You know, it's, it just wasn't a good fit for me, you know, and um, and if none of those things that I just mentioned bother you, then it might be a good fit for you, you know, but it just it just wasn't for me. It sounds like when you went into the trucking thing, you never sat down to think about how does this fit into my life? You just thought about, oh, this could make me good money. And yeah, I seen dollar signs. <laughs> I think the moral of this is and I think everybody should learn something from this, whether you're a felon or not, is to when you're thinking about what you want to do, maybe balance it a little bit more. How does it work for your life? And how also equate the money into it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Um, 100%. One of the questions I have big one on this is on the electrician side. So you talked about how this was a right fit for you, but now let's, let's strip away and take the fact that you, you're a felon out of the equation. Do you still feel like this is the right fit for okay. you? Or do you think that you definitely would have gone off in a different direction in that scenario? Wow, that's a good question. I never thought about that. Um, I will say this. When when I, and this is what kind of irked me and made me look into like what jobs um, allow felons and which ones don't. And because I was given an opportunity to work as a life insurance agent um, or insurance, whatever the fuck, to, to sell life insurance, basically. The offer was really, really good, bro. Like, I literally, because I was doing Uber on the side. Um, like, I was, when I first started doing electrical, I was working for a private contractor. And so, he didn't always have 40 hours a week for me. And so, whenever I would go, I would get off early, I would just go and drive Uber. And you meet a lot of shit ton of people doing Uber. And I was offered that job doing life insurance. I was offered a job in cybersecurity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, just all kinds of jobs that paid really well, you know, like legit jobs from like dudes that, you know, were somebody's in the company that would have put me in and, um, and I'd have a conversation with him and and that was an ultimate disqualifier Mm -hmm. was a felony. 
So would I have tried any of those had I not been a felon? Maybe I would have, bro. Maybe I would have. And and uh, maybe it would have been a misstep. But I guess you never really know until you know. You know, I, I think a lot of people, um, like like me, right? Like I told you, a lot of people told me they thought I could have been a, they thought I could have been a, a sales agent. They're like, man, you could, you fit in, you fit in good right there. And so, um, I think I may, maybe I would have tried it just to see, you know, just to see, mm -hmm. all right, is this me, you know? But then again, if I'm not a felon, I'm probably not getting out of prison. Well, yeah, but we're right. we're using we're using a hypothetical <laughs> right. that none of that ever happens. Yeah, that's a super hypo. Yeah, that's a yeah. super hypothetical. If okay, yeah, that takes me way back. Then I don't know. You, then, you know, I, I guess know. the I the moral of the, the question is is that is an electrician the right thing for you because you have a felony? Yeah, if I but had it, but if you were given every opportunity in the world, would you still choose the electrician path? You know. Right. Right. I think, you know what? I think if that was the case, bro, I would have looked, um, I would, I would have theoretically in this hypothetical situation, I would have had more time to scan different fields and see what suited me best. I think I had to put myself in this field. I felt like it, it applied to me the most for what was available to me, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? I felt like it fit me most for what jobs um, I had access to, you know, had I, do I, if I take away the felony, you know, who knows what, you know, what would interest me or where I would fit in. Um, but, you know, I think there's a bigger point, like you said, especially for guys getting out of prison, because it's, it's so tempting to chase the fast dollar, man. It's so, you know, you like I said, man, you feel like you, you miss so much time. You feel like you want to, you know, not be a burden to people. Like these are the things that used to go to my, go through my head. Like you don't want to be a burden, nobody. You want to be asking people for shit. Like you want to make as much money as you possibly can. And if anything, you want to be able to, you know, be a bridge to somebody, man. And, and, and maybe put them in a position to win. And so that's really what I was thinking about from the gate, like the, to make the most amount of money in the least amount of time. Man, I think that's probably why there's a lot of people in prison. And <laughs> so, so, so getting out of prison, I think they have to, they have to shift that mindset and they have to, um, you know, really assess the landscape, you know what I mean, of, of, of what the hell is in front of them. You know, if, if it fits you and it makes a lot of money, great. If it doesn't fit you and it makes a lot of money, probably not going to fit you, bro. You know what I'm saying? Probably not going to be best for you because, you know, what happens in those situations is you get you get tired of that monotony, bro. You get tired of that that schedule. You get tired of that that process and, you know, Trucking is so sporadic, bro. It's so sporadic, meaning that you could go to, uh, you know, you could talk to a broker, you know, broker a load and go to that place and get loaded immediately in an hour and then go to drop it off and not be unloaded for eight hours. You know what I'm saying? And so in that time period, you have you have a certain window to drive there. You know, what I mean, and you have to you have all these things that you have to account for. You get 11 hours of drive time per day. And after eight hours, you, it's mandatory you take a 30-minute break. And so you have these little things, these little milestones you have to make in your driving time, you know, and then you have to manage to fit in a schedule where you eat and you shower and you, you know what I'm saying? Like, and all those things are basically dictated on how you drive this load. And so, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it, bro, that's, that's not talked about. You know what I mean? There's a lot of shit that, a lot of elements that aren't really mentioned um, but like, yeah, that dock time, it's, it's, you know, deadhead, this deadhead is big for owner operators. Like deadhead is like, say I drop a load off in Milwaukee and I can't find another load to take out except, except for in mm -hmm. Appleton, you know, and, and what is that an hour away from Milwaukee or whatever? So two hours, right. Two hours. So that's deadhead time. You know what I'm saying? Now all the miles you're not getting paid for all that gas you're burning, you're not getting paid for. And so, um, yeah, the good companies, they can alleviate that because they got contracts with certain people. And so you might go from point A to point B and it's not that, it's not that much of a big deal, but, um, for, you know, guys, owner operators, you're, you're trying to find a load and, and you're, you know, you're trying to find something that is, you know, I guess, congruent to where you're trying to go 
um, because we kind of had like a little way we'd like to run. Like we would run, um, Chicago was always a hub and we would run down South and then up the East coast and get to the East coast and then come right back to Chicago. Um, we didn't really didn't really hit the West coast like that. And so, well, my route didn't, but, but yeah, man, that's, that's the, those are the grinds, bro. And, and like I said, you know, I can't, uh, obviously being an electrician right now fits me, you know, being in a trench and, and getting dirty and, and doing all that shit that mm-hmm. might not be for a lot of people, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and that doesn't make them any less of anything. It just, it might not fit them, you know? Um, some people like to sleep in and get up and go to work second shift. My, uh, son, my wife's son, um, he loves third shift, you know, I don't know, some reason he just, he loves third shift jobs. So yeah, man, it's not, it's not for everybody, but you know, I I just wanted to take this episode to, you know, to kind of, to kind of give a little insight, man, about, you know, kind of where I'm at now, you know, where I was at, where I'm at now you know, show the progress, show the growth. You know, I, I, um, I've come a long way since going to truck driving school. You know what I mean? Truck driving school, that was a milestone, you know, being an owner operator of a truck, that was a milestone, huge being a business owner. It was short lived, but I learned a lot, you know, and then, and then going into the electrical trade, starting from nothing, being an apprentice, working for a private contractor, not knowing nothing about nothing. You know what I mean? Um, and and slowly learning and working my way and then finally getting onto a big company and you know working with um you know huge job sites big job sites you know i feel like i feel like i've came a long way and so i just wanted to be able to share that and be able to you know show like man listen this shit's doable man guys get out of prison man and they feel like the odds are stacked against them and um i'm here to tell you <laughs> they are you know what I'm saying? A hundred percent they are. Um, but you know, I'm with you. You know what I mean? Anything I can do um to help guys that that have gotten out. And that's even like uh, you know, guys out here in Arizona, I mentioned it before, they got the smart justice grant. You know, it's a quick four grand to to go towards schooling. All you gotta do is complete a couple webinars, um, pay attention, answer a couple questions, and that's it. And I I'm sure it's probably universal across the board. Like in in, in these states, there's probably grants for these specific things you know my advice to all the guys man is just take advantage of it bro there's free money that the government is giving to these places um to put forth you know for for programming like this to get guys into legitimate career fields and shit like that and so yeah man it sucks we don't really get to choose um everywhere we want to go but there's opportunity you know, there's opportunity there and, and, um, anybody that's a go-getter, man, you're going to make it, you know, you're going to make it. And, and the trades, one thing I will say, man, is that the trades is, is going to be, I feel like in 10 years, the trade is going to be where it's at. The trade is going to be where it's money because I'll be honest, a lot of this new generation is not, they're not, not only are they not trade material, but they're not, they're not doing well. You know, these young guys that come into the trade, bro, as electricians, they don't make it, bro. They don't make it. I mean, they're standing around. They're not about hard work. They're on their phones. Like it's a different generation of people. And so I feel like there's a, there's not, um, a lot of this generation that's going into trades and they're actually short, you know, electricians, plumbers, um, iron workers, these guys are going to be necessities in the future. And I promise you, man, we're going to look back probably 10 years and be like, damn, we missed a whole generation of tradesmen, you know, and the money's going to be real. Yeah. And that is one, that is one field that is just not going away there. Uh, I don't foresee a way that AI can build buildings. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, they can't, AI cannot create electricity, you know? So um, being able to move electricity, being able to move water, you know, as a plumber, um, these are all valuable skills, man. And that's the one thing too, man, I will say, I don't know if you had something else to say, I'll let you say it in a second, but, um, that's the one thing I will say, bro, about this, that I appreciate is that it's a skill that you can take with you anywhere in the world, bro. There's, there's going to be different, um, elements and different twists and, but the foundation of it, the foundation of being an electrician, you can take anywhere, bro. Mm-hmm. You can take it in any state. You can take it anywhere. And so that's a key, bro. You, you, you know, it's not like, 
you know, it's not like being um, whatever, a supervisor at big old tires, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like you're not, maybe you can do a lateral, a lateral move. I don't know. But, but, but my point is that this is, you know, this is a real career field, bro, that is going to put you in a position to, to, to make some real money at some point, as long as you follow through. And I think it would be really important for us to say at this point in time that, that there is probably a hundred different ways that felons, you know, past felons can take once they get out. This just happens to be your path, but we would love to have anybody out there that has a different path that would be willing to share their path they took to give our listeners, you know, different perspectives of, you know, what are some of the ways that once you're, if you're a felon, you get out that you navigate through to make your life work. So. Right. And there's like, like I said in the beginning, that's why I brought up my, my friend, man, because you know, he, I was shocked, you know, I was kind of shocked when I heard like, cause I, I was basically like, um, yeah, I sat him down. I'm like, bro, I'm like, you know, cause you know, he did time. He was in prison and felon multiple time felon. And, um, at this point he's a business owner, you know, he's, he's got rental homes, like he's doing well for himself. And, um, I asked him, I said, bro, how did you start? Like, what was the, what was your process? And he says, well, I got out and uh, worked with this company and I just stayed there <laughs> for nine years. And, uh, you know, a few years in, they paid for me to go to school. And so I went to school and, and then that, that, you know, those credentials from school carried over when I moved on from that job. And he was always been a supervisor at any job he goes to, he's going to be a supervisor. He'll never be a, a, you know, a worker. And so that's one way to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's why I brought him up. You know, that's, that's, that's one way to do it. Paulino, you know, look at Paulino. He started his own business. You know, he's another one. He, he didn't do a lot of time in prison, but you know, I'm pretty sure he, he, he worked his way either. He tiptoed around a felony or, or, or he has one, you know what I'm saying? It's one of the two, but, but, um, yeah, man, definitely anybody that's out there that's got, uh, um, not just a good, you know, a good story about how to transition and to to make it, I got another friend too. Matter of fact, a Sawyer. I got a couple of them, bro. It's, it's funny. I think about it now. Um, now I'll say their names because obviously there's no there's, nobody would ever know them except them. But I'll sh- I'll shout them out real quick. But like Capone and Bobo, I don't know if they work together or separately. But I think maybe Bobo is a private contractor for for his own um, like remodeling kind of thing, and and Capone does the same thing um, as Bobo. So you know these are guys they work, you know, they're handymen, you know what I mean? I don't know if they have a specific title, but they're handymen, they remodel houses, you know, so, so they're, they're probably another couple stories, but anybody that has, uh, you know, that story of, of having a felony and, and knowing what it's like to grind up out of it, man. And, um, and to get to where you're going, uh, you know, I'll be more than happy to, to hear about it and even mention it on the podcast. And, and more importantly, if, if, um, you know, if there's guys out there willing to to hire felons, you know, I'd be willing to shout out their companies on here and and just just give people a, a you know a conduit. Give them, you see, I like I use that electrical. Yeah, that's, give that's people good. a conduit. That's good. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? Do do <laughs> give people one of those. You know what I'm saying? So that they have an opportunity. Um, I'm all about it, man. This is this is a this is a podcast. I like to say is is is, is interactive, man, and and um, you know, growing together, you help people out together. Um, sharing stories and uh, just getting that growth out there together. So that's what I got for today, man. I don't know how long it ran, but uh, hope people enjoyed it. All right. Well, with that, we'll wrap this episode up. As always, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash normalized crime. And if you do have questions, comments, anything you want to talk to us about, you can reach out at normalizedcrime at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week with a Patreon and two weeks with another episode. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Normalized Crime. Stay tuned for the next episode.